book of Habakkuk. We'll begin to read in chapter 1, verse 1. I'll invite you to stand, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. And this morning I want to speak to you on this subject, being thankful when you don't feel like it. Being thankful when you don't feel like it. Habakkuk chapter 1, and we'll begin to read in verse number 1. Their Bible says, uh, The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Let's pray together. God, we ask your spirit would speak to us and challenge us today. God, I, I pray for the one that's in our midst that's come here today. Um, God, that if they died today, Lord, they'd spend an eternity in a place called hell because they've never truly repented and trusted Jesus to be Lord of their life. God, I pray that during this service, Lord, your Holy Spirit will convict them of their need for you, their need to turn from sin and have the righteousness of Christ applied to their life. And I pray they'll choose to do that today, to turn and receive Jesus to be Lord. God, every person in this room is in one of three places. They're either fixing to experience a burden, they have a burden, or they've just been relieved of one. Father, we all know what it is to have challenges and experience adversity and hardship in our lives. God, I pray this morning that not just this Thursday, but every day, we'll choose to be thankful. You'll remind us from your word today that no matter what we're going through in life, we can always choose to be thankful for you and all of your goodness toward us. Speak to us. Challenge your church today. And I pray as we come to a time of invitation, whatever it is you're leading us to do, God, we'll respond to it in faith for the just shall walk by faith. Bless this time. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I invite you to be seated. Um, I always enjoy um, being able to preach and teach through the minor prophets because there's nothing minor about them. They may be minor in size in comparison to the major prophets, but there's great spiritual truth in them. Habakkuk was a, a contemporary of Jeremiah. It always helps um, to place... Uh, God's people in the timeline of the Bible where they were. So he would have been a contemporary of Jeremiah. Remember that the northern kingdom was decimated in 722 B.C. by Assyria. Um, but in 612, the book before speaks about the judgment. It was 150 years after Jonah's revival. Um, Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria, it was judged. And Nahum pronounced that judgment that God was going to send. And so even though Assyria had judged the northern kingdom, now they were no longer a power. Babylon had absorbed all of their um, properties and absorbed all of their kingdom. And so Babylon was now on the scene. And Babylon stood just outside of Jerusalem and was ready to destroy the southern kingdom. Habakkuk is different than the other minor prophets in its writing. It's, it's really not a pronouncement, though there is a pronouncement of things that God is going to do. But it's really a conversation. It's almost a prayer between Habakkuk and God. Habakkuk had a great burden in his life. 
he, he was challenged as he lived and sought to live for God each day. Don't miss this. He was very burdened by the things that he saw in society, the spiritual state of the southern kingdom in Jerusalem. It really burdened him. He was, he was broken over this. I wonder this morning if, if you have a burden. If there's someone here that's dealing with a hardship or a challenge or a difficulty, do you, do you feel overwhelmed? Do you ever get to that place? You just feel so overwhelmed by the situation and the burden that you're, you're, that you're facing. Do you feel almost a sense of utter defeat that there's no way you can just keep moving forward? And if you're not careful, if you'll be honest, it can lead you to a place that, you don't even, that you're not really even thankful anymore. You just begin to take all of the good things that God has done in your life for grateful because you really get a chicken little faith. The sky is falling, you think. But friend, in Christ, it's always still there. It's always still there. I remember the first time I ever flew on an airplane. It was, uh, it was very cloudy in Asheville, North Carolina before we took off. It was a dreary, a dreary day. And I remember getting on the plane. I didn't know exactly what to think. But I remember I thought, man, we're, it's, this is, it's just, are we really going to take off in this? The weather is terrible. And we headed down the runway, and we took off. And as I swallowed my breakfast back down, uh, and we began to keep easing up, all of a sudden something happened. We were in the middle of the clouds. And then all of a sudden, friend, after that, we broke through, and it was daylight. You see, the sun was always there. But the burden of the clouds kept me from seeing that. Sometimes, friend, we can become so overwhelmed by the burdens in life that we forget that God is always there and his blessings and his grace and his mercy ever surround us. In this, this text this morning, we're, we're going to see two things. One, the bother with burdens and then truths for thankfulness to help keep ourselves biblically grounded and to stay thankful even when you don't feel like it. Number one, I want you to notice this morning, the bother with burdens. Look what the Bible says again in chapter 1, verse 1. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, his burden was the deep moral decay of Israel. Uh, Habakkuk had a trait that all of us need to possess, and there was an absence of apathy. Habakkuk hadn't come to a place where he just was like so many are today that just say, well, it's, that's just the way that it is. That's where we are. He didn't accept that. I mean, the southern kingdom, they just accepted status quo and just went right along with the perversion of the worship of the one true God, oppression of the poor, um, injustice that was taking place all around. Habakkuk wasn't like that. He was brokenhearted. He, it, really, it really hurt him that the nation of Israel was no longer the kingdom of priests that God had called them to be. And so, friend, that's a good thing to, to be burdened. But listen, you have to have balance. Because if not kept in check, you can enter into a place of spiritual disillusion. You can begin to think that God isn't there and God doesn't care and God is not working, which is not true because he always is and he always does care. In the midst of all of these things, Habakkuk sees, he begins to question God on three points. First off, he begins to question, does God care? Look what the Bible says again in verse number 2. He says, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry? And you will not hear, even cry out to you, violence, he says, and you will not save. How long? Literally saying, you know, God, I've prayed and prayed about this. I don't know what everybody else is doing. He says, but God, I'm broken over this. 
I continue to pray and say, how long are you going to let our nation continue to live like this? How long will the church, the nation of Israel, which, you know, for us, you know, the, the, the spiritual state that they had is what we know is the church today. He says, how, how long will, will the people of God continue to live like they don't know God? He says, well, I'm so burdened by this. And so there's two different Hebrew words that are used in verse 2. Look at your Bibles. He says, oh Lord, oh, Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear and then even cry out to you for violence? And so for us, it's one word in the English, cry. But in the original text in the Hebrew, two different words are used to, 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 to say that word cry. The first is a plea of help. He says, how long will I, will I cry for help? But the second, friend, there's, there's, there's more oomph to it. He says, it's almost a, a scream. He says, how long will I, will I scream or shout for help? And so he cries, but then he, he goes with intensity. God, do you not see what's happening? God, I'm so burdened. And so he begins to question, does God even care? And his summation comes because of this. Because nothing is changed, well, then God must not care. Have you ever been that way? You're in the midst of your burden. Whatever the challenge and the hardship is, and you say, God, I'm, I'm praying about this, but nothing's changing. The pressure, if it, it hasn't lessened. If anything, God, it's intensified. And do you, do you not care? Our burden can lead us to that, that place of disillusion. And then he begins to question, is God going to do something? Look at verse number 3. He says, and when you showed me iniquity, why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? He says, why... Why do I notice these things? Literally saying, don't miss it. Nobody else seems to care. You ever talk to people about immorality, apathy in the church, the, the lack of concern that people seem to have over lostness, and you really share in your heart how broken you are, and they just kind of look at you like you're stupid? You, you, begin to, you know, it's, you know the, the church doesn't seem to have the, the, the surrender to lordship that it used to have. And people just kind of look at you like, you know, you're, you're such an alarmist. You know, why, why, why are you burdened about this? And so he begins to question, why, why do I see this? Why do you cause me this? If you're not going to do anything, God, then why, why am I seeing this? Nobody else gives a rip. Why, why do I care, God, if you're not going to do anything? Haven't you looked down and seen this mess? Verse 2, again, how long will I cry and you will not hear? He's saying, why aren't you acting? Why aren't you, why aren't you addressing the immorality and the injustice, the perversion of worship that's in the southern kingdom? But I want you to understand this, friend. Habakkuk's burden was not self-inflicted. That was his cry. Was, Don't you see my problem? But do not miss this. The burden that he had was not self-inflicted. I just want to take just an aside to say, over the years of ministry, I've talked to a lot of different people about their burden. And you need to understand that burdens are going to either be, you know, God-allowed and God-sent, but sometimes, friend, they're self-inflicted. And people have a self-inflicted burden, and they expect God to clean up the mess, but they haven't owned that they made the mess first. I'll give you two different... Uh, illustrations. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. I'll give you a tale of two boats. Uh, 
There's a book I had to read in college. It's called The Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Well, here's a tale of two boats. Okay? One is in Mark chapter 4. Jesus and his disciples are sailing across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus says, get in the boat. Jesus is in the boat. He's in the stern of the boat. The Bible says, sleeping on the pillow. And a storm arises. And water begins to get in their boat. And they lose faith. Now listen, they have a burden. Water's in their boat, and they're about to sink. But you need to understand, they are in the dead center of God's will. They didn't cause the storm. Give you another boat. Jonah chapter 1. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach. Jonah doesn't. Jonah wants to go to Tarshish. Tarshish is this way. Nineveh is that way. And a great storm arises. Two different groups of people, two boats, two storms. One was self-inflicted. One was not. Now, I want you to listen to me this morning. Everybody look up. Do you have a burden this morning? Do you have a hardship or a challenge? Would you be honest before God? Was it God allowed or did you make it? Because a lot of times the people won't put on a prayer list and they want everybody to pray for them about the storm that they're in, but they're the one that created the storm. And until you own it and repent of it, friend, God's not obligated to help. Psalm 51, David had created a mess with Bathsheba, but he never saw newness in his life until he said, God, I've done this. I chose to do this. I have sinned against you. And then when he did that, friend, he began to experience a newness with God, a newness with the Lord. And so he, he begins to ask, you know, God, are you, are you going to do something? Habakkuk does. Friend, don't expect God to work in your life if you created the mess and you won't own it. Until you repent of it, Psalm 66, verse 18, God will not hear your prayer. Third, he begins to question, uh, God, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Well, Habakkuk shares his concern and his burden, and now God speaks in verse number 5. Listen to what the Lord says in response to Habakkuk's question. God says, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded. For I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, even though it were told you. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, a bitter and hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places not are there, that are not theirs. And so Habakkuk had a burden. I don't miss this. God... Why are you letting immorality continue in our country? Why are you allowing injustice to take place, that the rich get richer and the poor become poor? Why are you allowing all these things to happen? And then God responds in verse number 5 and 6 and following and begins to say, you know, well, I am going to do something, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send the Babylonians. But Habakkuk doesn't like his answer. He says, I want you to do something but I didn't want you to do that. God, I, I want you to fix the problem, but, but, not, but not that way. Look how he begins to respond in verse number 13. He says, You're of pure eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? God, I want you to fix this problem but not with the Babylonians. You need to ask me what I would do. And I've been trying to tell you what I would do, 
when I pray. And so now Habakkuk is really beside himself because God is going to do something, but he's not going to do it the way Habakkuk wanted it done. Friend, a lot of times people begin to pray and they want God to work in a situation. But if they'll be honest, there's really only one thing that they want done. And it's not God's will, it's our will. It's our will. And Habakkuk hasn't surrendered that yet. He says, why do you, why do you look on those who, you know, why, why, do you, why do you hold your tongue, verse 14? Why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? He says, why would you create people like the Babylonians? They're vicious. He says, they're, they're worse than the people that are in Judah in the way they act. And you're going to send someone worse than the Judeans? To correct us? God, this doesn't, this doesn't make sense. Verse number 15. They take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net. They gather them in their dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and they're glad. That is, when they come to a city to capture it, they're relentless. They're vicious in how they treat those and maim those and murder those of the cities of which they're, they're possessing. He says... Babylon is, is cruel. Literally, all these statements add up to this. I asked you to do something, but God, this isn't what I had in mind. This wasn't, matter of fact, my burden's even worse now. It's, 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 it's worse. And friend, it comes down to this. Habakkuk hadn't truly surrendered his will over to God. A lot of times we have burdens and we begin to pray and we want God to do something. But friend, you're never going to see what God is doing unless you've truly surrendered your will to his will. And you trust that God does all things well. Look at verse number 5. God said, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. God says, I told you that you wouldn't believe. I told you that you wouldn't understand. Habakkuk, don't forget, all these questions were, why aren't, you, or why aren't you listening? Why aren't you looking? Why aren't you doing something? And then when God begins to do something, Habakkuk's even further upset. And so what Habakkuk says, I don't understand, God, what you're up to, what's happening. And God's trying to tell him, you're never going to understand. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 through 9, write that in the margin of your Bibles. God said through Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Friend, when you try to bring yourself level with God in understanding, you're always going to leave confused. There's some things that the Lord does we're never going to understand. If you're not careful, it can bring you to a great place of disillusionment. You really begin to think that God doesn't care, that God is not at work, and that God has forsaken you. Luke chapter 7, verses 19 through 23. One of my favorite passages of Scripture. It seems like a falling, but Jesus ends up praising him. John the Baptist is in prison. He's in prison for preaching the gospel and for telling the truth. And he, he enters into a time of darkness. He begins to wonder and to question like Habakkuk what God is doing. He has a burden. He has preached and, 
he pointed and he baptized Jesus. He heard God say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So if the kingdom is coming, why is John in prison? And so John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? We want to talk about disillusionment. He had stood and pointed and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's him. And now he's sending two of his disciples to question, Are you really him? Are you, are you really the one? If you're really the one, why are things like they are? Verse 20 says, And when the men had come to him, they said, to John, they said John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? And that very hour, listen, Jesus cured many of infirmities, inflictions, evil spirits had been removed, and to many of the blind he gave sight. And this is the forgotten beatitude. The forgotten beatitude. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the, deaf, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And here it is, the forgotten beatitude. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. John was sent to Jesus because he was in a time of darkness. He had a burden. He didn't understand. If, if the kingdom has really come, why are all these things happening? And Jesus says, you go back and tell him. The blind see, the lame walk, the dead, they're being raised. Cripple can walk. There's miracles taking place. And it's all because of what God is doing through me. And then he gives this word. Blessed is he who's not offended because of me. And that literally translates this. Blessed is he, blissful is he, who is not offended in how I run my business. Friend, listen. Jesus is never late. He's always right on time. And when we try to understand every single thing that's happening around us, it's not a sin to try to understand. But my friend, if you're not careful, it will bring you to a place of utter despair. One of the saddest things that happened in the life of Job was God never told him why. In the whole story of Job, God never took the time to tell Job why he went through any of the things that happened to him. And so many people say, well, why is this happening? What is God doing? What is God saying? You may never know. And friend, even if you did know, how's it going to relieve any of the hardship? The answer might only lead to another question. Knowing why won't necessarily help you face a burden and stay faithful. But I'll show you, share with you something from Scripture that will. Second, I want you to notice this morning, the truths for thankfulness. The truths for thankfulness. So Habakkuk, he had this burden. God spoke, and now his burden is even greater. Because he doesn't understand why God is going to allow Babylon. And it's brought him to a place that he's not even thankful for what he has and who he, who he is in God. The first thing that you can do uh, to help a truth to embrace, to help keep you thankful, is to abide in the presence of God. Abide in the presence of God. Look what the Bible says in verse number 2. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry to you and you will not hear? Even, even cry out, shout. Shout, how long will I, I cry out with a shout out to you? Violence, and you will not save. Look at verse number 12. He begins to, to, to cry out to God. Oh God, you're from everlasting, O Lord my God, the Holy One. We shall not die, O Lord. You have appointed them to judgment. O rock, you have marked them out for correction. He continues to cry out to God. 
you are of purer eyes than to behold evil. You cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and who hold your tongue when the, the wicked devours, that is, holds back? You know, God, why are you not speaking? A person that is more righteous than he. What was he doing when he was crying out to God? Friend, he was praying. He didn't let his burden and his hardship keep him from spending time with God through prayer. He, he was abiding in the presence of God through, through praying. My friend, one of the first things Satan will begin to attack in your life when you have a burden, you listen to me this morning, is your quiet time. You become so focused on you, you become so focused on the problem, you are so overwhelmed by what's happening. Satan can lead you to a place, friend, when you begin to focus upon you rather than on Jesus. And that's, that's what a quiet time is all about each day to turn to God, to, to enjoy the presence of God through the reading, through the study, through, through the meditation of His Word, and through prayer. And if Satan can lead you to that place that you, you, you push away for that, and I've heard this so many times in ministry, don't do this. Well, I'm just mad at God right now. I've got some God issues. Satan allows you to swallow that, and you begin to push away from that. Well, friend, that's like the power's off and you shoot the power man when he tries to come put the wire back up. That's like you're sick and the doctor's trying to come in the room and you're throwing things at him trying to keep him from coming through the door. That's like you're broke down on the side of the road and, and you try to shoo away the tow man who's going to try to get you to the garage so your vehicle can be fixed. You say, well, all those things are insane. Friend, it's even more insane when you're in a time of hardship and difficulty that you turn away from God rather than draw near Him. So you've got to, through discipline and dedication, you've got to protect your quiet time. Abide in the presence of God. And, 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 and then to wait on His response. Turn to chapter 2, verse 1. Look what Habakkuk declares. He says, I will stand my watch. He, is, he spoke, God has replied, he has spoken again to God. And now his response is this, I'll stand in my watch. I'll set myself on the rampart. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I'm corrected. He said, I'm just going to wait on the Lord. There's nowhere else to go. There's no one else to turn to. No one else has the answers or can fix the burden that I have. He says, so I'm going to, through, through prayer and through study of his word, I'm going to abide in his presence, and then I'm going to do the hardest thing, friend, listen to me, and that's to wait. Just to be patient and to wait. To wait on his response. And friend, I want to remind you, God's not obligated to speak or to act on our time schedule. I don't care what you read in the book, what you heard someone else say, God is not obligated, nor is he bound to our time schedule. He walks and he marches to his own will. And we wait on him. And so Habakkuk realizes that. He says, I'll, I'll stand my watch. Just, just like a guard stands in a rampart and looks for the enemy, he says, I'm going to sit, I'm going to look for God to answer. I'm going with, with the same intensity that a guard would watch to protect those that he loves, I'm going to watch and I'm going to wait for God to act and to see what I will answer when I am corrected. 
truce for thankfulness, to first abide in the presence of God. He said, I'm going to wait, I'm going to worship, I'm going to enjoy His presence. And that's all worship is. It, it's a word I'm sad has been lost in the day in which we live. If, if I said to you, you know, what a great time of worship we had. If I asked you to write down a piece of paper and put it in the envelope, what that, what that meant to you in a few words, most of you would say, you know, it was, it was a good, we had a good singing. You know, and, and then there'd be probably two words tied to it, either be contemporary or traditional. It's a good worship service. Well, it must have been some really good singing this morning. Friend, music has a part of worship, but worship in its pure sense is this. It's enjoying the presence of God. That's what worship is about. Study of God's Word. Prayer. We worship God when we read. We worship God when we pray. The greatest act of worship, friend, doesn't have anything to do with music. It's obedience. You want to show God you love Him? Be a doer of His Word. Not just to hear. That's the self-deception, James 1.22. To think that hearing is enough. True worship is displayed in obedience. In obedience, he says, I'll wait, I'll, I'll worship, I'll enjoy the presence of God and be renewed and revived. Look at chapter 3, verse 2. He says, oh Lord, I've heard your speech. I was afraid. Oh Lord, revive your work in the midst of years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. He's abiding in the presence of God through prayer, through the study of God's Word, in obedience. And he says, and while I'm waiting... God, I want to come out of this more committed than I was. He says, revive your work, O Lord, in the midst of the years. Remember, friend, revival is this. In its truest sense, it is a fresh new consecration to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Revival has little to do with putting something on the calendar in the fall and spring. Revival is a work that God does in the life of one of His children when they have a fresh reconsecration to His Lordship. And so Habakkuk says, God, while I'm waiting on you in the midst of this burden, I want to experience your reviving touch. I want to be renewed. I want to come out of this more committed to serve Jesus Christ in these days. So abide in the presence of God. Secondly, the second truth to lead us toward thanksgiving is, is to adhere to the character of God. That is to cling and stick, to adhere to. Look what Habakkuk begins to recite. Some, some biblical truths about the unchanging character. Turn back to chapter 1 in, in verse number 12. He says, O Lord, you are from everlasting. So he begins to speak of God's eternality. He always was, he always is, and praise God, friend, he always will be. He always will be. He just begins to think, he says, my, my hope's not in the changing times or changing leaders or changing seasons. My hope is in the eternal God. He says, O Lord, my God, he begins to speak of God's omnipotence. He says, Lord, no one can control anything that's going on in this city, but God, you're omnipotent. You rule and reign. There's, there's none greater than you. You are Lord. He, he calls him the Holy One. He, he, verse number 13, he says, You're of pure eyes than to behold evil. You can't look on sin. You can't look on wickedness. He speaks of God's holiness. Friend, I'm glad in a world that is marked and marred by decay and where it is even celebrated. Now, holiness isn't celebrated. Wickedness is celebrated. Friend, I'm glad we can turn to the one who is holy, holy, holy. 
Lord God Almighty. Draw into his presence and know, friend, that I, I belong to him. He, he begins to cling to that truth. He begins to, to cling to that. He says, you're, you're pure eyes and can behold evil. You can't behold wickedness. Uh, he, begins, he begins to speak of those who are appointed and, and marked for correction. The, verse number 12. He says, God, oh Lord, you, you have appointed them for judgment, O oh rock. You have, you have marked them out for correction. He says, God, you're sovereign. All these politicians down here in Jerusalem, God, they, they think they can get away with anything. All the corrupt priests, they think they can get away with anything. The kings, they think they can get away with anything. But God, you are holy and you are sovereign. You're sovereign. And if you want Babylon to roll through, they'll roll through. And friend, 586 B.C., they burned it to the ground because God sent judgment upon them. Verse number 13, he says, God, you're, you're long-suffering. He says, why, why do you look on those who deal treacherously? Why do you hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? His question was this, God, why do you allow these things to keep happening? I'll tell you why, friend, listen. Because God is long-suffering. He is holy and he will judge, but he's long-suffering. Why does God stand today and let America continue to go in the direction it is? Murder babies by the thousands each day. Celebrate immorality because he wants one more person to be saved. What keeps him from coming back for the church? He wants your neighbor to be saved, your co-worker to be saved. The family member that's lost, you're going to see this Thursday. He wants them to hear the gospel and be saved. Our God is long-suffering. Verse 12, he says, a rock. He calls God a rock. He's steadfast. Well, that's one of the things that bothers me in the world. Everything's changing, fluid, in one day and out. Everything's always changing. Nothing's ever the same. Friend, listen, God never changes. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God is, our God is steadfast. Habakkuk's name means literally to cling. And don't miss this. In the depths, and the midnight of his burden, Habakkuk begins to adhere he begins to adhere and to cling to the character of God. In the midst of your burden, friend, you don't know what else to do. You begin to remind yourself of who you belong to. And it'll be a blessing in your heart, and it'll lift you. Third, the, th the third truth that can help point us toward thanksgiving and have a thankful heart at all times is, is to answer with faith to God's Word. It's to answer with faith. Look what the Bible says in verse number 1. He says, I'll stand my watch. I'll set myself on the rampart. I will watch and to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I'm corrected. He's, he's in his tower. In verse 2, and, and God begins to speak. God begins to, to challenge Habakkuk and then share with him some things that, that's going to take place. And notice what he says in verse number 4. He says, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. He says, to find blessing in your life, friend, you have to be a doer of God's word. And what we do, we don't do based on sight, we do based on faith. The New Testament writers used this verse, and Paul used it twice. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. He says, we're, we're saved by faith. The just shall live by his faith. We don't know for sure you know, who wrote the book of Hebrews. It sounds a lot like Paul. But Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, the author of Hebrews says, once we're saved, we walk by faith. Our entire spiritual life is bound up 
in faith. We answer God's word with faithfulness. We do that. Genesis chapter 42 and verse number 36. Jacob had had a hard time. Joseph had been stolen from him. He couldn't see he was on the throne. Now Benjamin was removed. And he thought everything was just upside down. And they came and gave him a report. And he said, all these things are against me. Are against me. He had lost sight. He had a burden. Joseph was gone. Benjamin was now bereaved of him. And, and he, he had this deep burden in his life. And, and even though God had given him a promise, he was going to make a great and mighty nation out of him. All that he had promised his grandfather Abraham was going to be performed. He lost faith in that. And he looked at his situation, his burden. Don't miss this. And he said, all these things are against me. What had happened? He lost faith. He lost his faith and he wasn't walking by faith. All he could respond to is with what he saw. And everything that he saw was negative. And he forgot the word of God that says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make a great and mighty nation out of you. But isn't it interesting how we... We, we see that a direct, uh, different response in Romans 8, 28. The Apostle Paul says, through all the hardships, all the challenges, all the difficulties, I trust that all things work together for good. Jacob says, all these things are against me. Paul says, all these things are for me. What's the difference? A response in faith to God's Word. A response in faith. Answer with faith to God's Word. Abide in God's presence. Adhere, cling, cling, adhere to the character of God. Third, answer with faith to God's word. And then fourth, appreciate through praise to God. Be thankful. Be thankful. Demonstrate your thankfulness with praise to God. Look at chapter 3 of Habakkuk, verses 17 through 19. He concludes, he concludes his conversation with, Lord, with the Lord with this, this hymn of faith, this, this prayer of commitment. It's, it's a prayer of thanksgiving. He says, though the fig tree may not blossom. Well, why is that a big deal? There won't be any figs. He says, nor fruit beyond the vines. Though the labor of the olive may fail, no oil. And the fields yield no food. Though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls and all the produce from that. He says, though all these things are negative, though nothing turns positive, though everything physically around me just looks dark and looks dreary and, and it seems that there's nothing to be thankful for. I know I'm supposed to be thankful, but I really don't feel like it because everything is just going bad to worse. Look what he says. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on the high hills. In the midst of, of an unself-inflicted burden, Habakkuk finds joy. He says, these, these, these burdens and these challenges affect me, and, and they're changing every day. They're fluid. But one thing's not. He says, and that's you, oh God. He says, I'm going to joy in you. And I'm going I'm to verbally express that joy. He says, I'm going to be thankful for who I am in you. Friends, Satan, if you let him, he'll steal your joy. 
He'll absolutely steal it. To where every day is, is not a blessing, but it's a burden. Everything's always negative. You always see the negative instead of the positive. That doesn't mean you just walk around in the midst of afflictions like, man, this is great. God, heap some more on me. That's insanity. But faith chooses to see that God is at work. Jesus is still on the throne. You're saved and you're not going to go to hell if you've been born again. And you can joy in the salvation of Almighty God. And you can give thanks. You can give thanks. He makes that choice. He says, yet I, everything's negative. He says, but yet I will. He chooses. And I'm telling you on the authority of God's word today, you can't choose to change your circumstances, but you can choose to be thankful in Jesus Christ. You can choose joy and to have joy. And in this life, there's going to be burdens and trials. And when life seems to unravel, and you really can't stay sewn together, you can be thankful in Him. How? Abide in His presence, adhere to His character, answer with faith to His word, and appreciate through praise to Him. I don't know what burden you have in your life today. Some of you I do as your pastor. But I don't know what your burdens are. But friend, I want you to listen to me. God does. And if you've been saved and you belong to Him, listen to me. He has a plan, John 10, 10. He has a purpose for your life. And if you'll trust him and you'll wait on him, joy's going to come in the morning. And he's going to work it out for good. But until then, choose joy and choose to be thankful for all that you have in Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. You know, from time to time, I'll see people and hear people, see it in the news, media, who by the, the fruit of their life and the conduct of their life, they demonstrate they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. When the tragedy or hardship will come, they'll say, you know, prayers for this, prayers going up for this. I'm praying for this. Friend, I want you to listen to me on the authority of God's Word. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says that sin separates lost people from God. And the only prayer God's ever going to hear from a lost person is, God, forgive me a sinner. I trust Jesus to be Lord of my life. That's when God begins to deal with the great need that you have in your life. To be saved. Saved from what? Saved from sin's penalty. The Bible says in Romans 6, chapter, Romans chapter 6 verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. That's what you're saved from, first off. Has there ever been a moment where you've repented of your sin and you trusted Jesus to be Lord of your life and then through that trust God dealt with the penalty of sin in your life? Then, friend, you need to do that today. You need to have a relationship with God through Christ. That's your first need. And God loves you. And He sent Christ to die for you in your place on the cross. And He wants to save you from sin's penalty and then from sin's presence in your life. It's possession over you. But you've got to choose to turn and receive him to be Lord of your life. Have you done that? If you've never done it, won't you do it right now? In the quietness of your heart, choose to turn from all your sin and to receive Jesus as Lord of your life. Tell him so in a simple prayer of faith, just like this. God, forgive me, a sinner. I turn from my sin. I believe Jesus died and rose again. 
in my place. And I receive him in, into my life today to be Lord of me. That's my prayer. Did you pray that? Did you mean it? In just a moment, when they begin to sing, I want to invite you down to the front. And I want to share with you what God wants to do next in your life when you come. That's all you've got to do is step out into one of these aisles and walk right down to the front where I'm standing. Say, I prayed that prayer. I've trusted Christ. What now? And I want to share with you what God wants to do in your life. You say, well, I've done that. I've been saved. Praise the Lord for that. Do you have a burden today? Be honest. That's led you to a place that you're really not thankful. You become so overwhelmed by the hardships, the challenges, the adversity, that just like Habakkuk, you really begin to question, does God care? Is God listening? Is God going to do something? And really, it's led you to a place that you just don't really feel thankful. Friend, I want to remind you again, Jesus Christ is the best thing that ever happened to you. And there is nothing, absolutely nothing, depth, height, any power, any principality that can ever separate you from his love and who you are in him. And friend, that's something to be thankful for. Father, I pray for our church today. Lord, lots of challenges in the world, challenges people have individually in their lives. And Satan would try to use those things, God, to, to keep us out of a growing, surrendered, right relationship with you. Father, I pray that if, like Habakkuk, we've come to a place of just disillusion, that we think you don't care, you don't love us, God, I pray we'll just look back to the cross. No greater demonstration of how much you love us than there. And I pray we'll be reminded just of what we have and who we are in Christ, and it'll move us not to thanksgiving, but thanksgiving. We'll demonstrate it every day in lives of surrender and commitment to you. Father, many decisions represented in this place. I pray your Holy Spirit would speak to us now and we'll respond by faith to whatever it is you're calling us to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Let's reverently stand to our feet.